Hello everyone, welcome back to yet another episode of Venture Poland podcast. Today we will talk about something that I have just recently discovered in a broader sense, let's say, venture building and uh, cooperation between startups and corporates. And I know that these are very difficult topics, very wide topics when it comes to the actual execution. So managing people, building the product, building the service, testing it, validating it and bringing it to the market. I'm not entirely sure whether it's possible to create a blueprint to launch a startup in a corporate environment, but hopefully our guest will be able to answer that question for us today. Tomek Rudolf is one of the co-founders of The Heart. They partner with uh, leading corporations to build new businesses, products and distribution channels in their venture building model. Okay, that's it for the intro. Make sure to leave a comment and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to Venture Poland podcast. My name is Daniel Czachorowski and my goal is to promote Poland as a great partner for any business venture, especially when it comes to technology. In my podcast, I interview Polish entrepreneurs, startup founders, managers and engineers so we can all learn from them. Enjoy today's episode. Tomek, thank you very much for uh, accepting the invite. I'm really glad that we finally managed to get together and uh, have a bit of a chat. And as I said just a second ago, you know, before we started recording, I really admire people like you uh, when it comes to the type of activities you do. Uh, so when I found the profile of your uh, foundation and your profile on LinkedIn, I was like, okay, this guy seems uh, very reasonable. I need to try to talk to him. And I'm really glad that you're here today with me. So yes, uh, welcome to Venture Poland podcast. Thanks for having me. Brilliant. Okay. Um, I will let you uh, speak for 60 seconds and just try to pitch us on uh, what is uh, the heart and how do you see your role in uh, the startup ecosystem? Well, the heart is really a corporate venture builder that builds companies from scratch with leading corporations. And we act as, as a hub connecting the ecosystem in order to surface the opportunities where new companies can be created. We haven't started that way. We started as a connection point between corporates and startups and headhunter that was looking for across the European ecosystem for the best technology startups addressing corporate needs. But we've evolved over years into actually a builder of companies. And that's what we do right now. All right. Okay. So if I was to ask about uh, the actual name, the heart, uh, how did you come up with it? And um, what was the triggering point maybe for starting the company i'm really curious about that. well the triggering point was when we got the space uh, uh, in warsaw spire on the 38th floor and we were just about to open a hub for corporate center for digital ventures that we are uh, we are in still now and uh, we were looking for a name that would really say what we wanted to create uh, and, and the idea was that you in big corporations that have I've always worked with, uh, there is this uh, thirst for fresh energy and fresh blood, if you will. Uh, and we wanted to create uh, a buzzing uh, place. Uh, so so this, this heart of the ecosystem where uh, the corporates can meet the startups, maybe meet the investors and co-create new opportunities together. Uh, and and the heart has evolved uh, from the heart of innovation or digital transformation for corporates 
into a place where where we really join forces to create new businesses and bring them to life. So even though the tech world is very much uh, focused on technologies, uh, I guess it's all about people and connection and, and the heart is, is a symbol of connecting people in love or in friendship. So uh, we wanted to have a space that is both high tech, high tech and high touch. Uh, and I think we've succeeded in, in that. Uh, we've hosted hundreds of events and most importantly in our in our hub itself, we are hosting now over a dozen of new ventures that we are co-creating with companies like MasterCard, which is our strategic partner from the beginning of the heart. So, um, but we've worked across industries uh, for banks, insurance companies, uh, big FMCG companies. Uh, and and so, so, yeah, we have a quite a unique place in the startup ecosystem. Most of the ecosystem is focused on the startup side and accelerating, investing in it. And we've always been focused on the corporate side, getting it ready for startups, getting it ready for innovation, for thinking about the future, for disruption and uh, helping educate and inspire the, the leaders, the managers, the, the employees uh, across uh, departments uh, and bring the corporates together in roundtables uh, to meet startups, to meet technology uh, pioneers, to see what's coming. Um, so that's that's more or less what, what the heart is. Sounds like a very interesting uh, work to do, actually, and uh, you know, to be um, in the middle of the two worlds. On that note, I've read your uh, report that Hart uh, released recently on enterprise tech uh, stage in Poland. I'm really uh, happy to see that the trend is growing with obviously people like yourself and companies like uh, like the Hart doing similar things, so helping to join uh, forces between the two uh, worlds. I'm really curious on uh, what's going to be the key focus or difficulty for uh, for both sides to cooperate uh, now or in the future. Well, you need readiness on both sides. If you want collaboration, I guess any enterprise tech startup wants clients uh, and uh, you need corporates that are willing uh, to do stuff and not just talk and and have budgets have people in place that can uh, make things happen uh, and on the other side uh, the corporate executives uh, they need someone they can trust they need someone that can deliver and uh, they need technologies that are somehow proven to deliver something and and i guess uh, when we started connecting the two sides um, on the corporate side there were almost no corporate innovation units that would have budgets and uh, either for investment or for pilots. There were no processes to do pilots, uh, the purchasing and, and legal and other bottlenecks were still in place. Uh, so a lot of work we had to do initially was in education and inspiration on good practices in opening up uh, processes for open innovation in corporates. And many of our clients uh, have become leaders very quickly. Like if you take a look at PKO Bank or Ben Paribas or or, um, or Mastercard, uh, they they uh, over the years uh, have been very active, uh, either investing in companies or or uh, piloting tens of of startups, uh, and uh, some have been acquiring. Uh, so so the ecosystem has developed over the last four or five years, I think, a lot on the corporate side, on the startup side, uh, uh, we uh, I guess have more and more uh, good. Be- 
startups that are smart and, and have great technology, but also increasingly uh, good, great sales, which I think was always uh, uh, somehow a harder point. We, we're great in technology, but not necessarily in packaging that. And selling to enterprises is obviously, obviously tricky. It's sometimes easier to have a global B2B a startup that uh, sells online uh, with a credit card uh, a subscription to a, to a service. It's way harder to sell to huge corporates where you have all those bottlenecks in terms of uh, requirements, implementation and, and um, uh, purchasing departments and, and tens of different stakeholders that are stopping the process. Uh, and to build a scalable enterprise tech startup uh, isn't that easy. Uh, so, so we're happy that to see that the, from HR tech to marketing tech uh, to uh, across uh, the field, more or less, you, you, you're seeing more and more companies that are having uh, clients, not just in Poland, but also scaling uh, in Europe with their technologies uh, for corporations. It seems to me like we're in a bit of a catch-22 situation here because uh, big organizations, they may not necessarily want to innovate that quickly. Okay, If, if you know what I mean, they, they may have a solid you know position in the market, let's say, and things are moving slowly for them. On the other hand, we've got startups who are uh, super quick, agile, and they try to do multiple things at once. And there has to be, I think, uh, there has to be this bigger person here in the room who would make this, you know, step back and say, okay, I will make this uh, happen. I will do something a bit different than we used to do it before and maybe listen to the other side. I'm curious on your point of view here. Well, I don't think I would agree that the corporates want to innovate as little as possible. I guess it all depends on the on the leaders and their mindset. Uh, I, I, the people that we're working with, I, maybe we're lucky and it's not a representative group, but they really want to uh, lead and, and be ahead, uh, sometimes even internationally in implementing innovative stuff, uh, solving customer needs and growing, uh, being ahead of competitors, but also uh, avoiding the, the threat of disruption. And if you take a look at the banking sector, for example, it, it has been quite quick and, and, and uh, effective in implementing customer-friendly solutions if you compare it to US banks or, or some other Western countries. So, so uh, I guess uh, we we don't have a problem that with corporates not wanting to innovate necessarily, especially when it comes to the core business. You want to improve it. You want to have better results. You want to sell more and have happier clients. I guess I don't think that is the, the tricky point. The, the hard, way harder point is when you're really challenging your core business and thinking beyond that and and either disrupting it, so saying, okay, this won't work anymore. We are trying, I don't know, we are a publisher and now we are in digital media and we won't ever earn as much um, revenue from publishing or content just. We need to rethink our models to, I don't know, e-commerce or others. And if you're, if you're going beyond your core business and your traditional industry boundaries, that's where it becomes tricky. Uh, because you might even want it on a, on a theoretical point, but to really get it done is very, very tough. Uh, usually you recruit people or you've recruited over years for that specific skill and mindset and, and, and experience in your industry. And if you start moving 
outside of that industry, being a telecom and moving into, I don't know, banking or being a banking and moving into commerce or whatever, um, you need people outside of your box and uh, with different skills. And you need to give them also freedom to develop models that you don't necessarily understand or are skilled in, uh, or you haven't been skilled in over years. So that, th this is a trickier point, and that's why this uh, excubation of startups or building them outside actually works sometimes better than trying to do it internally because you just don't have the skills. Obviously, some companies that are huge enough to have lots of money to experiment like Google can afford to build labs like Google X, uh, where you do stuff totally beyond your core business, uh, like self-driving cars. Uh, but uh, they also are smart enough to not put that into one basket and not have quarterly results presenting the, the uh, revenue from both in one company you have alphabet which is a holding and it presents separately the results of google and all those new businesses usually we, what we've seen is that it's very hard to build new ventures it takes time it requires uh, patience uh, and you need to be less risk averse than in, in terms of protecting your core so the venture building part is, is I think the, the trickier part, uh, not just the, the incremental improvement innovation, I guess everybody wants it and needs it. You wouldn't survive if you didn't have that those skills. Uh, in the longer term, you will not survive if you stop innovating beyond your core. Uh, but that's not something that everybody understands, uh, especially if you're as a, as, a, as a top manager remunerated only for a short term perspective, quarterly or annual, and you don't have any incentive to be an entrepreneur that builds it for decades. Very interesting. Um, I, I mean, uh, I agree with uh, what you said about that the responsibility actually uh, lies in the management you know if they are not uh, driven by certain uh, kpis and let's put it this way okay they get a certain salary and that's it they don't need to innovate because this is not their uh, job profile let's say but i think with initiatives like the heart in poland i think the general consensus is um, starting to shift a bit well that's actually my feeling but uh, and i hope that that's the case obviously I think it, it is shifting and, and it's shifting both in terms of the, the Polish companies, family owned, where the next generation is taking over and they want to build companies in new areas, new spaces that they, are, they understand as digital natives. So they're oftentimes the drivers of the new business models. And because they're, they're, uh, the companies they are taking over not necessarily have the skills, they are more open to somehow co-create those ventures somehow sometimes on the edges of their business not necessarily from within which is tough um, and in terms of big corporations international ones that are our main target group as well uh, or have has been uh, our main target group uh, and uh, those partners uh, have seen poland as a test bed as a sandbox uh, for new innovations for many years and uh, with the tech talent that we have and a, a still lower costs uh, base than than UK or, or Germany or France uh, or US, you can um, have Poland as a nice place to actually co-create those new ventures, test them and then scale them internationally, um, especially when it comes to co-creating new suppliers that solve your industry problems 
or new value-added service partners or new distribution platforms. Uh, so, so things beyond your core, uh, you can actually solve those problems uh, by, by co-creating new solutions, new products, new services, new platforms uh, quite nicely in Poland uh, with a, with a, and prototype them. We've had a similar situation with one of FMCG companies uh, recently that wanted to co-create an AI solution that uh, more or less manages their distributed workforce and matches people with opportunities, with projects, with tasks, uh, and is something like a mobile career assistant. And we've built that here quite quickly, something as a a tailor-made solution that solved that problem uh, in, in Europe and possibly beyond uh, Europe as well. Uh, but we, what we were trying to do was to understand, is that problem only the problem of one corporation or, or do other corporations have the same? And we were bringing together different corporates from different industries, trying to understand how those problems are solved and, and uh, to create a stronger, more scalable solutions that anybody can apply. So that's how we co-created an tech startup that we're building right now and and we, we hope that uh, Poland can become a, a hub where, where more and more um, uh, corporations actually co-create such such companies uh, maybe invest in them as well and scale them globally uh, on their on their back brilliant, brilliant. Um, let's talk about venture building now I think uh, well in my perspective actually the whole idea when I first uh, read about it and then when I stumbled upon the heart was that it actually implies something like a close to blueprint solution. I'm not entirely sure whether uh, you are actually trying to build such a method uh, or something that will guide you in the future. Uh, obviously, the know-how stays you know, within the, within the business, but is it, is it actually possible to create a turnkey business solution? Well, we have a few scenarios when, where we co-create uh, uh, companies and, and the whole idea of a studio model that you, people know from Rocket Internet or from Idea Lab in the US uh, has been proven to be successful over the last two three decades in, in numerous scenarios. Uh, if you take, for example, a company called Flagship Pioneering in the US, uh, uh, they focused on biotech and they take some new science or new science challenges and uh, ask them what if question if if we solve that problem what would that mean and if it seems worth solving they start building a team uh, and trying to solve it doing the r&d and then building a company around it and and the whole idea of a studio just like with tv studios or hollywood studios is that you don't need to be just the sole entrepreneur uh, doing that the process is somehow reversed uh, you have a shared service, uh, the, the factory more or less, that keeps spotting new opportunities uh, and also joins, uh, ha- develops shared service centers that are like pit stops ready to serve any new venture being built with any capabilities needed. So be it technology or marketing or sales or people or legal. And uh, then you have a validation phase, and when it seems worth building, you build it, and then you scale it. And the CEO actually, uh, in the flagship pioneering case, and in our case as well, comes only after a, a, a five, six months sometimes, uh, and is hired. Obviously, uh, can uh, has stock options and and. Um, 
needs to have an incentive to build that for the long term. But the, the process isn't really treating the CEO as a wholly uh, and the most important part of the process. It's uh, very important. Uh, the people are extremely important, but they're extremely important both in the shared services and also in the uh, in the um, founding teams. Um, and they can be exchanged. Uh, the idea can be killed after a month or two or, or three, and then you work on something else. Uh, and I think that's uh, that's one point uh, that that I love about the venture building model is that it really helps people, the founders, diversify risk. Uh, they 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 have less risk definitely because they they working with a venture builder. They don't need to have all the skills uh, from legal to investor relations to marketing to sales to team management technology whatever. If they come and start building a company, they can just do what they do best. Uh, leading this and everything else is supported by by the the people around them and even f having uh, built a startup for example in you in us uh, in the past uh, and i know what mistakes i made and those were in all those areas where i i had zero comfort uh, but i still as a founding team member i had to have those skills nobody helped me uh, and um a venture building model really helps you avoid those risks, reduce reduce the risk of building a venture because especially in our model where it's a corporate venture building, we have also strategic partner that brings some unique assets or competitive advantage to the venture being built, uh, uh, either as a potential sales partner or data uh, provider or, or any other synergy. Um, uh, so, so this is really kind of unique in the venture building model that you, you, you uh, have a factory that can test and, and validate new ideas very quickly, but then really spins them out as, as uh, separate companies, keeps having shares in them. Uh, and in some cases uh, of the, the big in, uh, venture builders like flagship pioneering that have tens of IPOs behind them. At the point of exit, they had even 60 to 80% of shares in those companies, which isn't normal for the venture capital market that the, the people uh, uh, incubating uh, that uh, wouldn't have uh, uh, way, way, uh, way less. In accelerators or incubators usually take single uh, percentage points and not, not uh, tens of, uh, uh, so 50 over 60 or 70% of shares. Uh, a venture builder that that finances the whole portfolio uh, can can do that. So that's more or less. There are many things that I find fascinating in the venture building model, and that are kind of counterintuitive to how the the typical uh, startup building process, uh, if you're independent as an entrepreneur, looks like. So uh, I think this will be a model that will keep growing, and there'll be a lot of focus to venture builders focused on either certain business models or certain industries. Um, and uh, they will merge probably uh, their own fund with their own shared services and software houses and, and, and resources that uh, provide services to the companies. And obviously the synergy in the portfolio uh, is, is key, that you're really reusing resources, know-how, data, people, uh, uh, and building a whole cluster and not just one company. That is, that is I think, huge. Sure. Uh, I think it's really important here to emphasize, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I think it's really important to say that this type of approach is probably good 
when it comes to reducing the risks on basically all sides okay so you take the advantage of having the skills and know-how over the years for the venture builder and then for all the other stakeholders who take part in uh, building that specific uh, startup uh, but then also it helps to make the compromise so you know people make the compromise uh, on how they've done things in the past or maybe what they think about what they should do and then uh, you guys come in and say listen maybe this is the way we should try yeah. and do it well in our model uh, we were start we had different starting points initially we were thinking that most corporates that came to us uh, find me the startup uh, would come to us with a challenge and we would build sometimes if you cannot find it we'll build it uh, and that was the starting point when we when we when we began then increasingly we started actually coming uh, back to those companies with our own ideas or our, our own suggestions of portfolios of companies that they could build and we, we started jointly uh, deciding which to validate which to build and uh, we started having much more of a proactive role in in co-creating a portfolio of, of ventures with with a corporate uh, and increasingly we are also trying to surface uh, challenges where one corporate cannot solve it if you take for example circular economy and 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 the recycling uh, you need uh, a whole cluster of companies to join forces and co-create a standard co-create uh, some new ways of, of, of dealing with plastic, for example, and you need to co-create a venture that will solve that problem with all those people on board. So we are increasingly trying to, from fintech to insurance to other uh, industries, co-create companies as joint ventures between multiple uh, companies uh, where they join forces. Uh, we had this case in Blick in, in Poland where of a successful co partnership between banks to co-create a new standard. And, and I think uh, uh, such an independent venture builder like us is very much uh, in position to, to be the orchestrator of such partnerships. And in a platform economy, you need to create standards. You need to have people engage in competition, uh, create places where they share data, where they uh, provide a better user experience by getting on one platform. And that's a perfect place for a corporate venture builder like the heart to, to, okay. to orchestrate yeah, that. Sure. I would like to uh, talk about startups now because we, we've touched on the uh, corporate side a bit. and. Uh, let's now think from the other side and have a bit of a discussion here. Um, what are the major blockers for startups to uh, work with corporations? Uh, I think I know the answer roughly, but I would like to see your point of view. Uh, what's typically missing? I would say sales skills are the uh, hardest part. Uh, obviously, assuming you have a great technology and you're wanting to get it sold into a company, uh, you need to a uh, be able to listen to the needs uh, of different stakeholders trying to understand their agendas their kpis what are they paid for what are they, are they afraid of who are they looking up to uh, in terms of competition or inspiration and, and who, who is their role model so you need to come and listen and solve their problem rather than trying to pitch your solution uh, and you need to do that to multiple stakeholders in the corporation in order to finally sell. 
because your project might be blocked by any of sometimes even smaller departments if you, they hate you, so to say, um, for 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 some reason. So um, uh, or if they have a better agenda that you did not understand. Um, from compliance to legal to to marketing or HR, whoever it might be the blockage point. So I think the sales uh, skills, if you have a great salesperson, that person will be able to a, identify the right people, be talk to them, see, understand their agendas, and then present your solution as a solution to their enterprise problems. That is a safe one, that's easy to pilot, that, uh, that is scalable. And obviously, uh, if you don't have all those skills, it's good to partner with a with a channel partner. Uh, I don't know, either a consulting company or or a, or a IT company like Microsoft uh, that then brings you uh, with their credibility uh, as part of their of their cloud of uh, partner solutions, and and they help you. Obviously, they will not sell always sell for you, but they'll help you gain the credibility and sometimes navigate and integrate with what the corporate uh, already has. I guess. Uh, Something that that people uh, that are pitching solutions sometimes forget is that the value proposition of of an enterprise solution is uh, not just the benefits you present. People usually think, okay, you promise this, but have you can you actually deliver it? So they take one third of what you promise as true, maybe. And, and then you forget how costly it is to implement your solution, to switch from A to B, to teach people how to use it, uh, to do even a tender and, and go through the formal purchasing process. It's all cost and time and effort. And usually people, when they think of that, how painful that is in the organization, uh, the managers think, okay, it's three times more even than I, I, I expect. So in order to get people to move, you really need to provide somewhere this 10x benefit uh, that it will be either 10, 10 times cheaper, 10 times faster, or 10, or it, then they really see that it's worth taking the effort. You, nobody will switch for just a, a single percentage point of, of benefit because they're not really sure they'll get it. Uh, so, so I guess, uh, understanding what your value proposition is, what are you really improving, and where is your 10x in your in the value you're providing, and to whom, uh, is I guess key in in getting the startups to sell more and sell better and sell internationally. Uh, and I think that's that's from my experience the biggest challenge. Obviously, assuming the technology is right or the product is good, and we could talk a lot about that. But uh, I, I assume that that hasn't been that much of a problem. Uh, the bigger problem was really navigating and packaging it and 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 doing the diplomacy around uh, the change you're bringing. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Very short and concise uh, guidance, I think, for some of the startups who are trying to sell into corporates. Maybe two two things that I would add. Many companies don't do their homework <laughs> when they come to a meeting with a corporate. So they should, A, read the strategy or latest news and try to find the buzzwords or the, the highlights. What is really uh, the, the problem, Marias? What are the priorities? Uh, and uh, what? how can you package, in which buzzwords can you package your, your solution into? Because obviously navigating in, in corporate uh, uh, politics means understanding what is really the priority right now. And, and you need to use the certain language. 
Um, B, you can look at what uh, your client's competitors are doing and bring some know-how, bring some value. Uh, you can say, okay, uh, we are bringing you this, but your competitors are doing this and this and this and this, and that's why you should be doing that too. And if you if you spend the time uh, really understanding that, you're uh, very much uh, uh, have way more chances to actually get interest, uh, to get credibility that you're bringing value uh, with your presence. You're not just asking questions or you're not just presenting how great you are. You're providing them insights they need to sell it internally because it's a big effort to make any elephant move and, and so you need good arguments. So if you come with, with that know-how to the corporation in an area that you're expert in and you say how do those technologies are implemented in, your, in this industry or in other countries or on other markets or by, by the competitors, then uh, you, you, you usually um, uh, get better arguments that they should listen okay. to you. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Tomek. Thank you. Let's move to some more personal uh, questions I would like to ask before we finish the recording. Um, when it comes to your work as of today, what would you say it's most difficult for you? Is there something that you're working on trying to improve or maybe you, uh, you've you learned that you need to delegate more, something else? I'm, I'm just really interested in, in your personal, let's say, experience of last months maybe. Well, business-wise, I guess we are as any phase of, of uh, development of a company uh, we've turned into a venture builder over the last two years and and strategically we are built still building many building blocks uh, for the future uh, and we are hiring lots of people and developing entirely new capabilities so uh, managing all that has been uh, obviously uh, a learning curve in terms of the challenges ahead obviously uh, we are thinking about many things a, uh, how to finance the, the scaling and growth of the companies we build. So we are considering whether we should have our own fund uh, or, or how can we also tr uh, scale those companies internationally better. Um, uh, and that is my big question, how we will be scaling the Hearts model to other locations worldwide. Um, obviously, uh, saying no to things, uh, you, you, you can... Uh, with any model, you, you get distracted and, and uh, deciding where to say no, which ventures to build, for example, which models to enter as well, which capabilities to build is, I guess, the hardest part because everything seems like a shiny object and, and you might get distracted. So I guess uh, on one hand, uh, the big question is how to scale this. On the other hand, is how not to get too much diluted in what we want to be the hard score. Uh, capability and how to work with partners uh, to fill those gaps uh, where we don't build them ourselves. Um, so there, there are many, many uh, challenges, I guess, uh, in building a company. Right now we are more or less scaling from 50 to 100 people this year probably. Uh, so it's it's uh, becoming a bigger and bigger company, way, way harder to manage than a smaller team. Uh, but also way more fun and way more impactful. So, so uh, it's 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 a great great place to be. Brilliant. Okay, Tomek, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to uh, talk to you today. Uh, it went really really smooth uh, the recording. So 
um, I'm really glad because I'm not going to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, cutting the whole thing. And, and it, it was a great uh, story. I really admire uh, what you do. And I wish you all the best for 2020. So that's it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.